0: We have decided to do a brutal idea takedown.
1: Every time I hear an idea like that that kind of shocks me, I'm like, there's got to be something there.
0: Pretty much like every guy that I know is hooked on this stuff.
1: I think someone should be covering this. I'm going to give you a D.
0: A D? <laughs> I think this is a bogus idea. I'm going to give this an F.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wah wah.
0: So this might be the worst idea I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> what? No It's way. really bad. Are you planning on doing this for my birthday?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser.
1: And this is Steph, Idea Master Smith.
0: And today is Saturday night. It's the day before our one year wedding anniversary. And we have decided to do a brutal idea takedown business ideas on Smashdown Saturday with Steph and Cal.
1: <laughs> this might ruin our anniversary.
0: Yes, it might.
1: (laughs) What do they do in boxing where they're like, and in the left corner, we've got.
0: Yeah. On the left side of the zoom screen, we have Steph and on the right, we have Cal. And now the audience has tuned out because that is so uninteresting.
1: If we had good boxing names, it could have been interesting.
0: All right. Why don't we talk about the format? What are we going to do?
1: So we are each going to share ideas. We'll ping pong it back and forth. And these ideas range from fully baked. Actually, I don't think I have any fully baked ideas to not very baked at all. But these just come from observations in everyday life. We have many episodes at this point about how opportunity is everywhere. And this is us rattling off our ideas. And then the other person will roast the idea no holds barred and give a grade so there may be some failures some f's
0: yeah we'll do it on an a through f scale and then these are business ideas and the criteria for them is just going to be completely subjective so (laughs) let's see how that goes
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay cal why don't you kick us off
0: Okay, so my first idea is a marketplace for selling premium used items. I've sold a bunch of items as we moved over the last year. And if you list anything for three, $400 on Facebook Marketplace, you get bombarded with these people who pretend they're going to come pick it up right away. But they're really trying to scam you on sale. And outside of that, even the lower price items on the Facebook Marketplace and then OfferUp, which are the two places to sell items, the time it takes to coordinate with people who are just completely flaky and the ensuing money that you get out of selling anything is just not ever worth the time and hassle of doing it. And I've regretted everything I've sold, even <laughs> though I have more extra cash in the pocket and it's a terrible, terrible experience. So I want to pay some money to access a marketplace for people who want to buy higher ticket items and who are selling them as well. West Elm furniture, things like that, where I can get access to better goods more reasonably.
1: <laughs> okay. And you're sure this doesn't exist?
0: not to my knowledge.
1: Hmm. Okay. So are you trying to solve for making it easier to sell goods? Or it also sounds like you want this to exist, to buy things off of, or what's? how would you break that down?
0: Yeah. So I want it to be easier. Currently, the effort is just too much to sell an item. You have to list it in these groups. You have to coordinate with all these people, and they're just truly flaky. The second thing would be like a safety thing. That could be the scams that I'm talking about, but also people coming to your house picking up things. It's just, it's an uncomfortable experience. And there's like certain ways you can work around it, but it's not one that I think is done very well at all. And it's very hard to manage. And those would be my two concerns. And then of course I would like to access used items more cheaply. And I think there's a market amongst like say professionals who make a decent amount of money. They don't want to go buy a six thousand dollar couch, but they are happy to pay a thousand dollars for one that's been used for three years.
1: You know, I like the furniture idea because it feels like there is a huge gap between IKEA and then West Elm Plus and there are a lot of people who don't quite want to spend the $10,000 on a couch but also want to upgrade and have something a little nicer than a Billy bookcase. So, I think I think there's something there and it's really I guess probably the economics if you think about Facebook Marketplace and OfferUp they offer nothing right other than the distribution.
0: You can advertise on their platform so they can collect some money that way to get more reach, but that's it.
1: Well, I'm thinking more on the security side.
0: Well, they have a rating system which is important for any marketplace, but the you know, it's it's not that reliable and honestly like you could be just a one-time seller of goods and that's also not good for you because you don't have a profile even though you're a totally legitimate person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking there's probably a few ideas here. One of them is just there's a security aspect. And I heard it was like a year or two ago, there was a story about a bunch of people not just getting scammed on Facebook marketplace, but there's a physical security element where people were getting mugged and robbed. And I don't think it was that prevalent, but there is that side of things, which could be addressed by the platform or maybe people get verified. And it's just this like high quality platform that vets a lot of this stuff. Or you could imagine an agency built on top of Facebook Marketplace that just does all that for you. And then, you know, they take a cut of every sale.
0: So I'm going to change the idea to I want an agency to exist to manage this process. I would happily give like 30% of the sale price for this to all be managed and for someone to take all the things that matter seriously and to just get it done.
1: Yeah, I think it might make sense if there was a high ticket item marketplace that they could build on top of because... I just don't know if there's enough going on. If, you know, if someone's selling like a fan for 15 bucks, like they're not going to do all that stuff for like $5. So I'm going to give you a C plus on this one. Cause I think it can be done, but it sounds like a really hard business, but I would like to see it exist so we can sell our dang massage chair.
0: Agreed. Okay. What's your idea?
1: <laughs> Which, By the way, if any listeners are listening and they want a massage chair in the Bay area, we've got an excellent one. Our apartment is just a little too small. Okay. My first idea is a hot sauce tasting kit. Basically, you can imagine this kind of like a subscription box. We get to taste a bunch of things, but with a twist. And it's actually inspired by a coworker of mine who loved hot sauce, recently joined the firm and brought in nine different hot sauces, which were increasing heat So each one has different Scoville heat units, and I actually charted them out. They were literally exponential. And so it would play into people's desire to try new things, but also to win, to get to the final hot sauce, which by the way, you needed to sign a waiver for, which I think the waiver actually came from the supplier or like the creator of the hot sauce, not our firm, which I thought was funny. So that's my idea. And I think you could even, did you know subscription boxes, a bunch of them get free product because so many other companies want to get in front of customers?
0: Yeah, I did marketing work for an e-commerce company once, and we considered that as part of the strategy.
1: Okay. So there's another proof point. I think you could actually have a lot of the hot sauces subsidized and you could swap them out and that could be a reason that they buy it, not just once, but many times, And there are a few data points that people just love challenging their heat tolerance. There's obviously that YouTube channel called Hot Ones where they bring celebrities on and they do something similar like this. And then there's also this really sad story recently where there's this thing called the Packies One Chip Challenge where they created what was apparently the world's hottest chip. A ton of people tried it. It went super viral. It unfortunately got pulled off shelves because a kid died Unclear if it was related to the chip challenge or not. But point being, people loved this activity and I think it'd be hit. What do you think?
0: Okay. So clearly you didn't grow up in Florida because this was something that was done regularly at a couple of places. One was Tijuana Flats, which was right near my high school. But this is yeah, this is nothing new. I think it could work as a subscription idea. And it could be cool to partner with people like that guy, Nick Gray, who teaches people how to host parties. You could imagine uh, different subscription box ideas to like make a party fun with the hot sauce thing. So I'm going to give this a B. I think it could work really well. I'm going to give it a B because it's not all that new.
1: Wait, how did they do it at Tijuana Flats?
0: The same way that you're talking about. This is like increasing
1: done. heat and you knew how spicy each one was.
0: Yes. And that oh. was 20 years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. your excitement is funny about this. But
1: <laughs> Well, I wonder if they got as hot as these ones were. Was there a waiver?
0: I never got to that level of heat.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. I got, what was it? A B?
0: A B. It's pretty good.
1: I'll take my B. Let's see if we can up it next time. What's your next idea?
0: I'll stick on the subscription game. My grandma, I think when she turned 80, I went and visited her and I was like, oh yeah, we're going to celebrate your birthday. And she's like, yeah, it's my birthday week. (laughs) And it's funny because she's not really that type of uh, person to make anything about her but there are many people who are like, Oh, it's my wedding week. It's my wedding month. It's my wedding year. <laughs> and I think it could be cool to give a gift giving subscription, one that had access to like really nice items, high quality chocolates, good espresso beans, you know, just the things that the dilettantes of the world like to dabble in and tie to their identity. And for seven or 30 days, you could send a person a cool gift that you customized as a, you know, an ongoing gift box for their birthday, wedding, whatever event. And it would be a little more special than just one gift.
1: Mm. Are you planning on doing this for my birthday?
0: Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I've set myself up bad here, folks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think this could exist. I just don't know how big of a business, realistically, it would be. I was recently buying someone a gift for their 30th birthday on Etsy. And you'd be surprised by how many birthday things there are, like customized t-shirts or robes or candles, and there's all these kits. So I think this already may exist to an extent, although I do like the idea of simplifying the multi-gift process.
0: It does exist, but part of the value would actually be the curation of high-quality items that would mm. fit together, that would fit this you know, taste that some people have.
1: Well... I do think there should be better gifts out there. Like the fact that there are a few different things that everyone gives everyone. And this includes, by the way, corporate gifts. I think most corporate gifts suck. And conference swag also sucks. I've talked about this before. So I think there is definitely something in the improve the stuff that other people give other people realm.
0: Okay, what's my grade?
1: For the first one, I'm going to give you a... D. A D. (laughs) 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 For the idea of just being like a multi-ship birthday thing. But if it was around making customized gifts for all different types of situations that are higher quality and really thoughtful. Like, for example, things that, you know, people haven't heard of from Japan or something like that. I think that's cool. And that's more like a B.
0: Okay. What's your next idea?
1: <laughs> all right. Let's just remember that these are not all fully baked. But my next idea is just a few different ways that I think people could build AI apps. So I'll go through them really quickly. So the first one is imagine that you're a guy named Calvin Rosser and you have this huge box of of old trading cards and you have no idea what they're worth or if they're even worth anything and i believe there are some agencies where you can go and like they'll you know take a look at and vet them but they're expensive and i think they take a big cut of whatever you end up making imagine now that ai i don't know if you've seen some of the images that have been trending on twitter where it like can read a really complex parking sign it can Solve legitimate math problems through pictures. I think that someone should create an app that can actually take a look at the collectibles that are out there and at least try to give you a basic understanding of whether you have anything worthwhile. You can still take the next step of getting a professional, but I think there's probably tons of people who have all of these collectibles that quote might be worth something one day. And they just have no starting point for validating whether that's true or not.
0: The only starting point is they're nagging relatives who are like, oh, you got to sell these cards. They're worth so much money because they heard that some dude sold like an old baseball card for $5,000. That's the starting point. And I've considered this myself because I have some cards from childhood. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's, it's a pain in the ass.
1: But I also think because these AIs are powerful you just take a bunch of pictures of your stuff, make it really quick, really seamless. And then you just, maybe it's kind of like this dopamine hit pulling at the slot machine for a bunch of people around the world where it could even be a social phenomena where it's like, I used collectible AI and I didn't realize I had like a $10,000 Beanie Baby and you you have fun with it. But If you don't like that idea, I'll just throw out a second Hold on, hold
0: on. No one said that I'm not liking the idea. What are you talking about?
1: Well, let me just share the second part, which is just, I think AI can help surface things that you didn't know were valuable. And so the other business version of this is I talked on My First Million a while ago about how there are all of these different ways that people can make money off of their assets that they didn't know. So for example, the, the obvious- One would be renting out a room in your house. There's also, if you happen to live near a surf break, you could get paid by Surfline to have a camera there. Or if you have a really tall building, you can get paid by telecom companies to add infrastructure on top. There are probably more ways that people can make money with the assets that they have than they realize. And so there could be a similar AI that basically asks you a bunch of questions and then surfaces the ways that you can make money. And then the kind of other version of this is imagine the same thing for tax cuts. Did any of that make sense?
0: It all made a lot of sense. (laughs) Okay, so for the second idea of showing valuable assets, I think we call it just show me your assets. (laughs) And, (laughs) And that might work really well. I like the baseball card one. Because that's a real problem and could get you motivated to take the next step. And then obviously, like if someone's going to, you know, show me how to save money on my taxes, like, okay, yeah, I'm down for that too. (laughs) I feel like all of these are very good use cases of taking trends and common problems that people have. They want to make more money, I guess is the underlying of all of it. And they have things that may be able to allow them to do that, like making money from your existing stuff. And so I would rate this idea in A minus. Like someone please build these things so I could use all of it.
1: Okay, I'll take my A minus.
0: It's not a Princeton A minus, though. I was gonna say,
1: are you um, are you great inflating me?
0: Well, our anniversary is tomorrow. I need you to be in good spirits.
1: (laughs) Okay, what do you got?
0: Okay, so many many people, as you pointed out on Twitter recently, are using Zin. Mm -hmm. It's like pretty much like every guy that I know is hooked on this stuff <laughs> and if they're not hooked on it they're going to be hooked on it soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, they don't realize it yet.
0: I do think that there's still some sort of social weirdness where you don't want to pull out a zin can and they have the branding that, you know, just says big zin on it. And so maybe you want to hide it from people for one reason or another to preserve <laughs> your reputation. And I think what you could do is you could design custom metal tin cans. That would, one, be cooler and thinner to store in your pocket. They could be personalized. And they could also do this thing of hiding the fact of what you're doing while being just like an overall better experience. And you could put more Zins in than the 15 that are currently limited to each can. And uh, I think a lot of males could benefit from that.
1: My first reaction is this is a bad idea because it's just like, who's really going to buy this? But at the same time, this is such a big trend. Like, I can't remember the precise details, but they sell millions and millions of cans each quarter. And so I'm like, maybe, and maybe this could be a Ridge wallet kind of thing where it's just a like high quality kind of signals you're rich and have taste kind of thing. Yeah.
0: You know, it's similar to maybe like people had fancy little cigarette holders back in the 50s. And it just kind of like looked cooler. I don't really know. I never used one. And then they also had, if they rolled their own cigarettes, places to store them. And so I'm thinking of it kind of in this way where it's both fashionable, it's potentially actually a better user experience. And then it adds a little more social cachet. You're not just putting in a nicotine pouch like all the other bros out there. You're putting in a fine, fine thing from a fine, fine can.
1: (laughs) Also, just to follow up, for folks listening who haven't caught on this trend, I just looked it up. And in the first quarter of 2023, guess how many cans they sold?
0: 200 million.
1: Okay, not that much. But 73 million cans in one quarter was their shipment volume. It's a lot of in It's a lot of Zin. So yeah, I think my original reaction was like a D, but I actually think maybe... This is one of those scenarios where I just don't get it. Like I don't use Zin and I have never bought a nice wallet, but a lot of people have. So maybe it's actually like a B plus.
0: Yeah. The other good thing here that I think adds to it, and I would argue it's a B plus as well is...
1: (laughs) Would you argue it's an A?
0: This is not super available. I would not argue that this is an A. And in fact, the idea somewhat came from Zin has this loyalty program where one of the things you could have gotten was like a metal tin can and people really loved it. But I looked on Etsy. You can't really find these things. And it, mm. it's really simple. It would be cheap to manufacture. And th- there's just enough Zin users where you could talk to the problems of the Zen users, including the fact that when you use a Zin, there's not like a, um, a pouch to put your used Zins. So if mm. you're just like, there's no trash can around or anything, you could have that to put the used items. So there's some, improvements to the experience, which Zen could implement themselves. But I'm, I'm bullish on this and I think I, we could start with all the people we know who are just popping these things left and right.
1: As you're talking about the enhanced feature set, I'm liking it more, but we must consider the deep, deep platform risk because Zen can just steamroll you. Can't they? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Should we move on? Yes. Okay. So this one is super quick. Do you remember how when we saw Dave Chappelle, there was a company called Yonder, which you basically had to put your phone in these little pouches so that you could not record anything during the show? Oh, yeah. All right. So that was because they didn't want any recording. They wanted him to be able to freely flow and not have all these sound bites online. I think there should be a software version of that because I think you see all of these you know, these companies doing all hands meetings or just forums or talks, online conferences, where people in some cases don't feel comfortable speaking fully candidly because they feel like they're constantly going to be sound bited, sound bit, sound. You get it. And so you can imagine a software that prevents certain functionality. Now, now that I'm saying it out loud, I guess you can't really stop someone from like filming their screen, but you could stop them from recording something directly on their computer. What do you think?
0: I think this is a bogus idea. I'm going to give this an F.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Okay, let's move on.
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. <laughs> I will say though, your comment about the Dave Chappelle show piqued my interest in a related idea, which is to have those little phone bags at restaurants. I'm tired of people texting, looking stuff up and not being present with their friends, family, business associates and other loved ones. And that will be a cause that I hope to uh, support for a long time. On the topic of recording things though, Sam Corcos did an interview with Tim Ferriss and he's like super into async work and really doing remote write and things. And they record all meetings at the company, including one-on-ones. And they publish those to everyone. And mm. so you can go and look at one-on-ones of your colleagues. And he gives some good rationale on the podcast about why he does this and why it's helpful. But it's like an even more extreme version of, you know, you can't even... In your conversation with your boss, if you shit talk someone or you're talking about a personal problem, that's going to be released to the whole company. And I think they have a couple of guardrails around times when it wouldn't be. But it's an interesting almost like opposite of what you're talking about, where everything is public.
1: Hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. Just hearing it for the first time. It's certainly interesting. Every time I hear an idea like that, that kind of shocks me. I'm like, there's gotta be something there. But I do think there's this element where you know, the comedians are kind of leading the charge here, where a lot of people are afraid to say what they really think. And if you were able to develop forums, Where people can speak openly that don't devolve into something like an 8chan where there's complete anonymity i think it's an interesting problem to solve
0: yeah he also hosted these things called salon dinners which i imagine people are not allowed to record in any way as well but he would gather people they're talking about specific topics someone it's like a well-curated group but those are also interesting to me where i actually had some friends most of them were liberal but they watched the republican debate And in, you know, pursuit of truth or whatever, they met afterwards, and they just talked openly about what they were seeing and hearing and thinking about it in a, you know, kind of non-judgmental way, like it was all no one could record and stuff like that. So I think it's interesting to create these spaces for people because there's a hunger to be able to speak your truth or to explore ideas without the risk of, I don't know, someone thinking that you're a complete jackass. And the people who would opt into those things are the people who probably are going to be okay with just this unfettered thought
1: all right i got my first f <laughs>
0: what's next <Got> him. <laughs> yeah i okay. went from
1: a a minus to f
0: <laughs> well that's life stuff so get used <laughs> to it okay so i'm writing an article about this it's how to make friends as an adult we've talked about this a little bit on this show but more and more people have been searching for this on google and you hear people are lonely they're depressed they're isolated People have all kinds of blame and causes for this. But at the end of the day, I think there are many adults who want to connect with other people because friendship makes life worth living, right? So the idea is, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) The idea is a very simple lifestyle business where in your city, you would host workshops on how to make friends as an adult. And these would be places where people could meet, but it's also some sort of like educational thing. And maybe you could have your hot sauce challenge there, the subscription kit, but it would be a fun Not networking or speed dating or speed friending or any of the other bad ways in which I think people try to connect other people, but something that is like a fun place to go where you actually learn how to be a better friend maker and maybe meet other people as well. But I think the primary intent would actually be an educational experience rather than a connection-based one.
1: Wait, so you're learning how to be a good friend?
0: No, how to make friends as an adult. So just like people go to workshops about sex, they go to workshops about how to raise money for uh, venture capital. They go Mm. to workshops for all kinds of things. This would just be tapping into your local community if you were an expert in this domain or had tapped into things that were helpful for actually building friendships.
1: Wait, so is this a business idea?
0: Yeah, you'd pay to attend. You're basically a motivational speaker guru type of figure for this specific problem. I
1: see. So I feel like in a way... Nick Gray kind of does this right with his book and like hosting cocktail parties. But I do think if you were to position it just as, Hey, I'm good at teaching you how to make friends. It comes across a little, I don't know, off putting. There's something around the branding the same way. It's like, Oh, I'll teach you how to be a really good at dating people for some reason. They like kind of
0: people eat that up. That's "Eh, a huge industry.
1: It is, but I don't know, maybe I'm too judgmental, but I, I don't like the framing.
0: Okay, fine. I mean, work on the branding, give a better idea. But the the point is, there's this problem that people have. And I think you can actually teach people just like you can teach people almost any skill, how to be better, how to overcome some of their limitations that are preventing them from doing what they want, which is to connect with more people. So just like a a little bit of the puzzle of solving the loneliness in the world, which is no, no good.
1: It's no, no good. But I guess my I don't know if it's actually better, but I think it's better idea is just running some of these, I guess, events like the hot sauce challenge, like you mentioned, or other things that just bring people together and then they, they just make friends there. I don't know. I guess it's kind of like a co working space, but I think that's a more natural way to make friends because I don't know if people are willing to admit that they're bad at making friends.
0: Well, that would be the first step the problem admitting the problem
1: no but you know what i mean like and they might not even be they might just not have the right environments because i do think you know one of my theses as of late is that it's so strange that especially if you live in cities the way that you engage with friends is typically just eating or drinking
0: well i engage with my friends in a wider group of ways but look to convince you of this idea like it already exists there's speed dating for friends and it's really the same thing, except it's more of a connective experience. And I think you should layer on an educational component as well, because many people actually don't know how to go about going through the world and meeting people. And so just going to an event where you're, whether it's networking or connecting with people or a cocktail party, it often doesn't solve the problem, even if you have potential friends there, because you don't know how to bridge the gap. Some people actually just struggle with that piece and they need to find their own way of connecting with people. And uh, I think you can, Talk about those things in a.
1: So, is this like an AI?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> see, this is where I think I can't see it because I think many people wouldn't be willing to admit that they're bad at making friends or even have that awareness. And even if they do, I don't know if they care enough to be like, oh, I have a problem. I need someone to teach me how to fix it. I think it feels like a very tractable problem for people to just get out there a little more. I think you're probably right that maybe they could benefit from some education, but.
0: Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> there's this idea came from an event that's literally happening in two weeks. It's called making friends, a different kind of networking event. And it's based around uh, this whole idea. So you're oh. wrong.
1: <laughs> All right. I'm wrong.
0: Now this is not a great business. So we're, well, why don't we give it an F and move on?
1: <laughs> All right. My next one is also very quick. It is a newsletter where the sole purpose, or I guess the content within the newsletter, is about the subscribers within it, but not like editorial. It's a survey every single day about the most obscure things or relevant things, like let's say an election's happening, right? And basically, the only requirement is that when people sign up for the newsletter, you get a little bit of demographic data, but just stuff like how old are you? What country do you live in? Etc. And then basically you ask a question and the question could be like, what kind of milk do you drink? And then you get data from your subscribers and the next day you share to all of them, some learnings from real people. Like, did you know that X number of people apparently drink pea milk or that's like PEA, by the way milk.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) An x number of people think p e e -E milk
1: (laughs) and the so in some sense this sounds like a really silly idea and there would definitely be a chicken and egg problem because at first you're like okay we've only got seven subscribers like what the hell um but you can imagine that like companies pay a lot for this kind of information, as in to know from real people what they're thinking. And I think there's also an intrigue of real-time information if you were to ask a question one day and have all your subscribers be able to see the data the next day. So yeah, I think at first it could be just purely fun because you could, again, ask the most obscure, random questions and see real people's opinions on a topic the same way people use polls on Twitter, for example. But then I think eventually it could be actually like a, a pretty solid market research tool.
0: So this might be the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> what? No It's way. really bad. So I, I'm going to give you uh, an F, but I do respect the idea because you're thinking different and I I think someone might be able to take the seed or kernel and turn it into something great. And we talked in one of our last episodes about Bukowski saying that good art shakes you alive. And I think something like this could shake you alive, though, if you wanted to do what you want to do, you would actually just go pay Google a couple of cents to poll subscribers. And this is, I think a lot of companies don't know that they can do this, but it's very cheap for Google to ask. Google user certain questions, and that would be a much more efficient way to get to the right demographic and understand what they think about a specific thing versus this random newsletter.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if this one's an F.
0: This, If there was a grade <laughs> lower than an F, we <laughs> I think we would give this one that.
1: There is something here. Okay. Just in the idea that a newsletter is a very passive medium, and so is podcasting. So are YouTube channels. I think there's something to, as this technology advances, it being not just unidirectional and having subscribers or readers or viewers actually be part of the content creation process, if that makes sense.
0: So I agree with that. I think many more newsletters, mine included, could become far more interesting by like engaging subscribers more directly and sharing some of that data. You see Mark Manson's a newsletter... I forget what it's called, The Breakthrough or something, but he shares real stories from people who have been changed by his work in every newsletter and calls them out by name. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good way of making people feel seen and heard and actually seeing that other real people are making changes based on this content. And it's like a loose kind of approximation of what you're talking about that I think is directionally correct. But starting from the seed idea of a blank newsletter that then (laughs) just takes in information and shares it, that's that's a weird part for me. And we're not going to deviate from this F.
1: But it's also there's a degree of, you know, like people do like open businesses and tracking where I think people would get behind it. They're like this newsletter. We're part of it. Oh, there's 50 subscribers. There's 500 subscribers. There's 500,000. And we have all this data and X percent of people responded today. And you also would just have the opportunity to ask really obscure things that would not warrant you wanting to go pay Google, you know, or maybe Google couldn't even get the number of people to answer a certain kind of question like do you dream in first person or third person like no one's going to fund that
0: well google has all the users on the internet so but yes i agree with you i think the interesting thing is actually the if you as a subscriber could ask a question that you want to know an answer to which is another way to make it more interesting to you but i do not want to receive a feed of random people answering random. you would get questions, the nice like,
1: data each day like a kind of charter type newsletter All right, I'll keep my F. What's your final idea?
0: This one is niche. Okay. As are most of my ideas, but I was in a used bookstore and I bought a surfer magazine guide to Northern and central California surf spots. And it details just hundreds of surf breaks along the central to North California coast. The cool thing about this book as a surfer is it was written in 2006, but it has more information on surf breaks than anything I can find on the web. And this is like a real problem if you're surfing and there's many reasons Mm -hmm. why it exists. But the surf world is dominated by a website called Surfline, which provides like forecasts with a little information about breaks, but there's not hyper localized detailed kind of guides for most places. And that would be really helpful if you're going to a new place. And I would buy that guide every time I went.
1: So what's the idea?
0: The idea would be hyper localized surf guides that were the right information that you needed to be able to go out and navigate a break and do so with joy and safety and all the other things that you consider when you're thinking about.
1: Why wouldn't that just be a blog?
0: I mean, it could be a blog. I- I'm not tied to the book idea, but it actually is quite nice to have the book in the the way that it's formatted. But yeah, I guess if it's easily accessible online. like
1: Why isn't this information already there? Like, isn't it?
0: No. Hmm. It's not, it's not there, I think, for two reasons. One is surfers don't want you to know about certain breaks because surfing is a zero-sum game where more people in the water equals a less good experience for you. And so in a lot of places, like the good surfers, they will know about breaks that you only find out if you've lived there for like six months to 12 months or if someone actually takes you out there. So there's a little bit of that going on because it's zero-sum sport. And then the second thing is I don't think this knowledge is widely accessible. Like how many people have detailed localized knowledge about that many surf breaks? Like me as an individual blogger, I simply could not create that because you have to go surf a place like for two years to get that level of insight or knowledge. And so you would have to partner with local people.
1: So would it be like the surf version of Lonely Planet? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) How much would you pay as a surfer? for one of these books.
0: And the 20 bucks?
1: I'm just trying to think like sounds like it could work as a small business. Do you think this could be like a big thing? No. Oh. Okay, sounds nice.
0: This is a real problem <laughs> in the surfing world and I need to be heard. <laughs> the other thing in the surfing world is private surf cam, so surfline they provide cameras at certain surf breaks, but many breaks Mm -hmm. don't have cameras. And it's for the same reasons. Like people are like, I don't want a camera here because it's going to attract more people because they can actually see the waves instead of driving there. And I would pay, (laughs) I had one guy, he's like, we should just set up like cams at all these places where people don't want them and just have like a private network of surf cameras that people would pay for access for. Because the surf camera is the most valuable thing because it's actual like real time. You know,
1: there's something there Where you can imagine how, I mean, I don't know if there would be the volume to make a difference, but if you bought small businesses like a cafe or property near surf breaks and then set up the cameras and then that drove a bunch of new, you know, traffic to that area, that could work. That's like people who track where new airports are being built because they know that. The land there is likely going to become much more expensive because there's just going to be a lot more people going there.
0: Yeah, it's funny because if you suggest this at a break that is like a local break that you have that doesn't have a cam, you it's like a little bit heretical because it has this dynamic of it's just gonna attract more people. And so you kind of wanna keep it a secret. And it is just this really weird Hmm. sport. That has all these little interesting parts of the subculture.
1: You know what I do think is a good idea. And I, I'm i sure something has been produced here. But like there's got to be a documentary about this. Because a lot of the content I've seen around surfing has branded it to be this really like just chill out man. We're all We're all rocking it. We're all riding the waves and everything's real sunny and cool. But the way you've described it is like territorial people get upset there's deep competition i think someone should be covering this
0: it's brutal <laughs> it's it's a brutal brutal sport and you got to i mean a lot of it is yeah just wanting to keep unskilled dangerous surfers out of the water i really i really think it always it all comes down to the fact that it's zero sum like there's only so many waves and you spend a lot of time trying to get those And you don't want some bad surfer or some surfer you don't know, or some like city boy from out of town to come to your break and just disrupt your experience because it is like Zen, but not really Zen safe haven for a lot of people to deal with their, I don't know, emotions and stuff, um, out in the water. And so they're very protective of it. And there's a safety component too. Like kooky surfers are
1: dangerous. (laughs) I guess I, I don't know what great to give you on this one because it feels like a passion project for someone a very nice one
0: well you'd probably get death threats if you did it
1: yeah this sounds uh dangerous
0: (laughs) (laughs) all good times started with a little bit of danger right
1: why don't you do this idea
0: because you can't i mean you would have to partner with like locals at different places just to get the information it's clearly like it's been done in this guidebook that i have and i read that there was like a lot of resistance to this book and if you had it in your car you wanted to like put it what? face down. really but yeah because i don't know people could slash your tires and stuff like that there's just i'm telling you surfing in, especially in certain places just has this outlaw dynamic <laughs> to it that is definitely not the like let's chill and be mellow
1: mm. but. well at the risk of being judged by the scary surfers i'm gonna pass on rating this one
0: what's your final idea
1: <laughs> all of mine sounds are dumb but let me explain After, It's an animal sensing museum for kids.
0: You mean where kids can go to learn how animals experience the world differently than humans? It's based on that
1: book that I keep talking about.
0: Terrible business, but good idea.
1: Well, I don't know if it's actually a terrible business idea because I think you could structure it in a highly social viral way. Where actually some adults would use it and a bunch of like, you know, teenagers and adults would share it. Kind of similar to the Borderless Museum in Japan, which uses a lot of technology to create different forms of art and it's highly Instagrammable. And in its first year, it did millions and millions of dollars and was like constantly booked out. And then the pandemic hit, although I think they've now reopened. But yeah, it's based on that book I keep talking about, An Immense World. And I just learned so much from it. But also, I think a lot of the lessons would be highly engaging in a museum format. So just to give a few examples, we are trichromats, which means we're sensitive to all three primary colors, but there are also tetrachromats, for example, in animals, but also apparently a rare few in humans. And you could actually kind of show people what it's like to see in UV. There are movies that do this, but you could do that live with like special glasses, for example. We also know that certain animals experience smell totally differently. So to humans. So for example, there are odor receptors like odor receptor 74, which most people think smells incredibly unpleasant and smells like urine or sweat, but a fraction of the population actually thinks it smells like vanilla. So you could kind of like have people experience that somehow in real time or like naked mole rats don't feel the pain that you typically would feel with like capsaicin or acids. And I don't know, I guess you can't really like go and burn people, but there are ways that you can actually have humans sense these other worlds that, you know, other animals experience on the daily. So like one other example is humans have some of the sharpest vision of all animal species. And so you could similarly have people see the world like a lion versus a hawk versus, yeah, something underwater.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I'd love to visit something like this. I just don't think it's a good business. Maybe if it was moving from place to place, but just as a standalone museum, I don't know if people would come to travel for this. I guess you could put it like in Orlando, where there's already a bunch of people coming or something Mm -hmm. like that. So maybe location matters, but I could see this working as a temporary exhibit in like good museums around the world and would obviously be really cool for both kids and adults. Yeah. Like it's an educational experience. Like a pop-up. That could change your perception of your own life, which is awesome. So I'm super supportive.
1: Yeah. And there are new technologies. Like one other example are these insects where many of these species can actually hear things and make sounds that we just can't hear. But there are technologies that you can just go and like put... This device onto a leaf, and then you can just hear this world of action, of experience and engagement between these different creatures that we just can't hear due to the way that our ears are tuned. Like that's that's a very movable to your point kind of experience. Or so you could like pop up in different places and have people just experience all of these different senses, and you know pay some money for it.
0: All right, I'm going to give you a B plus on this so that you feel good leaving our session.
1: Okay. You gave me the highest rating on my AI collectible idea or AI make more money idea. Yeah. I'll bump your idea around high quality used items to an A minus.
0: Really? I don't think we should be retroactively bumping anything up. I didn't come here to deliver the goods. I came here to just throw things out and get roasted. This is supposed to be a roast show, not, you know, like this is the best, well thought out ideas. I keep those in my back pocket just in case.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I gave you a few Fs. So I think I delivered the roast.
0: Yeah. I, I threw those easy balls out there. We're not <laughs> saying that you're starting these businesses. These are just ideas tinkering around in the old noodle brain.
1: Oh, wait, can I do one more super quick one? It's literally one line. It is. Okay interviewing your parents, Calvin edition.
0: I'm liking the sound of this idea. (laughs) It's (laughs) It's
1: just what you've done with my mom and other people's parents. You go and you, you just ask them questions about their life. And there are some professional services that'll do this, like, you know, get people to fill out these questionnaires, but I think you're just really good at it. And you surface all these things that, I guess children have not heard, but also you give the parent the opportunity to feel heard, like to tell their story. This is a very talent driven idea because it's Calvin edition.
0: Right, right.
1: But I actually think it's something that a lot of people would pay for.
0: Maybe, I guess if anyone wants this, I probably won't do it, but (laughs) it's, um, Yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, it all comes from a core belief that, I don't know, I think people should get to know their parents while they're still around. And sometimes that means just asking basic questions, things that you thought you might know. And it's the really simple stuff that reveals things. And you're like, shit, I visited my mom all those times and I didn't even know that she used to plant trees (laughs) or whatever.
1: (laughs) Actually, there's something worth mentioning though, which is, People can and should go ask their parents a bunch of questions that they've been wondering or didn't know. But I think there is a beneficial dynamic of having a third party because one, that person's coming in a little bit cold and they're able to see past family dynamics and, and just you know ask the questions that maybe are uncomfortable, but also ask the really mundane things that maybe someone in the family would just never think to ask, but that may open up. You know, some really, really great stories.
0: Yeah, the thing that's interesting is like, when I've done this in the past, obviously, it's just been for fun or with friends who wanted it to be done. But there's no I I don't know how you can productize it in the sense that there's no structure to at least my process for it. It's like, you just sit down and you talk and you kind of noodle through the conversation, but there's no guaranteed output. It's just a simple conversation.
1: Maybe it's a podcast. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right
1: didn't we talk about you doing a podcast where you go into retirement living
0: facilities yes
1: and you just give people the opportunity to talk but also share that wisdom yeah, with the yeah. world
0: <laughs> i think it would old people wisdom <laughs> was the idea
1: <laughs> like the name
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta workshop that
1: all right so i guess that's it that's our first roast of our half-baked ideas
0: i'm not calling that a roast next time we need to throw the fire that was too soft
1: all right we'll throw the fire it also i think is our 10th episode back on that note cal and i brought back the shit you don't learn in school podcast and we decided to do it under the agreement where we would do 10 episodes and then we would re-evaluate to see if it's something we want to keep doing so we're here at episode 10 and this thing takes a lot of time and it is actually something we we don't know if we're going to continue so if you'd like to see us continue in your podcast feed the easiest place to find us is on twitter the handle is sitless s-y-d-l-i-s my handle is steph smith io
0: my handle is calvin underscore russer
1: and if you don't have twitter go leave a review we'll read those and we'll see if there's demand for this thing to continue All right, that's a wrap on the roast. Thanks for listening.
0: Goodbye.